from NowVeryBad.com. A special bonus episode of Now Very Beast, Iron Maiden, the next 10 years. This particular installment has a particular meaning for me. This was the first one that I got. This was the first that I found, and I thought I'd spend a, just a little bit of time here uh, talking about how that all came about. That this was something that I found at a record show. Record shows were kind of a new uh, area for for me and my friends. Um, we were comic book guys, a, a number of us, and we would go to these comic book shows at there was this hotel in downtown Boston. I think it was a Howard Johnson's at the time. I have no idea what it is now. It's still there. Um, but that's where we had been used to going to, to, uh, you know, go and find all these really obscure collectibles and things like that. And uh, my friend Brian, his father worked for the local radio station <clears throat> on the South Shore of Massachusetts as a station in the next town over. And uh, he knew all about these record shows. And the fact that it was even called, you know, a record show uh, is something that would have sort of put it out of my particular interest because vinyl and records were just not really on our radar at all. At that point, CDs really were the uh, method of exchange. And I don't know that I had more than a dozen records or something. Most of them I had from when I was younger, lots of stuff with, you know, Batman and stuff like that on there. Um, I would end up getting, you know, a little bit of yard sale stuff, get a lot of stuff on clearance, um, get a lot of cutouts, you know, vinyl that would actually have a physical cutout on the, on the thing, like a remaindered book and uh, pick some stuff up that way. But for me, records were something that my parents had. We really went from cassettes, which were terrible, but we didn't know that because we, we didn't know anything better. Um, although, you know, cassettes will always have a certain utility because of the size of them. They're easy to carry those around, easy to record on. So they were always an important uh, component. But when you wanted real audio quality, we were of the generation that thought CDs were the pinnacle. And, you know, I would hear people talking about how, you know, CDs couldn't repro reproduce the base of vinyl and things like that. And uh, I always rejected that evidence uh, and, and still do largely that I just have long thought Records are a fetish, you know, that I think uh, Paul was, my friend Paul was the one who put it best when he, that's what he uh, identified these as. He said, you know, record collecting, it's a fetish. It's not any uh, reasonable belief that this stuff sounds better. It's just empirically not so. It might have a warmth or something that you're used to and you associate that with fidelity so whatever, I'm not going to wade into those waters. Uh, 
fact, I don't even know why I brought it up because it's something that people get really passionate about. Um, I love that vinyl has come back as a format largely because it's the only way for artists to get paid at this point uh, because we we killed the whole CD business with our need to stream things. And uh, so I actually have bought a lot of vinyl over the past few years, really just to support the artists more than anything. Anyway, that's a very long aside on that. What I really wanted to talk about with the with the record shows was that this was a different world, you know, than than I was used to. And nothing made that more obvious than you were seeing things at these shows that I'd never seen before, never heard about anything like that. So you would have a lot of people who were selling used things and collectible things. And there was a very, very large proportion of people who uh, were uh, specializing in exactly what you would expect, you know, Beatles stuff everywhere, Elvis stuff everywhere, you know, the certain very collectible things. There was a lot of the stuff that I would hear on classic rock stations. Uh, that was what was being traded. And it really gave the whole record show the feel of a ham radio show or something like that. Something where you kind of, you kind of love it uh, for being a bit out of the time, you know, and that's kind of it, it, its entire charm and appeal. Even when we were know-it-all teenagers who were saying, I don't know why the hell these guys are trafficking in, you know, Led Zeppelin vinyl when we want to be getting all these newest, latest CDs and things like that. But I also kind of identified with them because I was a massive, 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 massive Jimi Hendrix fan. Still am. And that was actually some of the only vinyl that I uh, started with. I picked up some some Hendrix records because it was mainly the the main thing, unlike what we were used to, where CDs were the main transport medium for music. Here, it was totally the other way around. Records were it because CDs were very expensive at this point. And so if you wanted to get some of these materials, because I was largely trafficking in bootlegs. Bootlegs was really what I was interested in. That was my my particular area there. And I was almost forced to deal just with cassettes on that stuff and the occasional uh, record because the CDs were prohibitively expensive. You know, I mean, this is 1988, 89, 90, somewhere around there. Um, and, you know, a, a, a cassette bootleg of something might be, you know, 15, 20 bucks or something like that. The same concert put on a CD might be 40, 50 dollars. You know, it, it was ridiculous. It was almost like two to one pricing. Instead of getting one disc, you could get two or three tapes. It's just an absolute non-choice. Certainly at that point, it's not like we had all this disposable income and but, you know, everything we were going to be funneling money to, at least myself, we, you know, this was going to be getting boots of uh, cassettes, you know, uh, for what was 
really popular at that time. Um, I think at that point I was trying to get all the unreleased Guns N' Roses stuff that I could find because there was a lot of it. Uh, wasn't really all that interested in getting live recordings of songs I knew uh, with any artist. You know, I was out for primarily in this order, probably Hendrix, Metallica, Maiden, Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, Guns N' Roses. Those were pretty much the big ones that uh, maybe Queensryche or Motley Crue, if I could find that stuff. But really, predominantly, uh, Hendrix stuff was just all over the place. And so I would grab anything that I could find there. But with the other artists, the, the modern artists, the people who were still out there recording, I didn't really want to find just another thing of them playing some show in California two years ago, unless there was some particular reason that it was interesting. And so I was really looking for new. I was looking for something on there that I hadn't seen before. So with all these cassettes or vinyl or anything, I, I'm looking to see, is there anything on here besides their hits or besides the songs I already know? Anything that's listed? And that backfired an awful lot because this stuff was so poorly labeled and it was either deliberately misleading or far more often it was just laziness, error, uh, lack of knowledge, whatever. And so I remember particularly buying uh, Mr. Big. Mr. Big had uh, a live show that uh, looked to be like it was really good quality. And I didn't recognize half the songs on there, which was really kind of weird because they only had like one record out at that time. I think this was even before they had their second album out. And come to find out later, you know, when I got this thing home and listened to it, that while there were things on there that were labeled correctly, like the Bob O'Reilly. So I'm like, oh, I definitely want to get that because I, you know, I know that song, obviously, but I know that they haven't recorded this. And so that was what I expected. But almost all the other tunes that I thought were going to be new songs were actually just mislabeled tunes from their first record. So, you know, they took, they listened to the song. They obviously, the guy who was recording this didn't know their album. So he just listened to the tunes and picked out a lyric that they said a lot and said, oh, that must be, this song must be called Circumstances. And it's like, well, no, it's actually called Blame It On My Youth. But they do say circumstances a lot in there. So I guess I can understand in retrospect how you made that mistake. So there was a lot of stuff like that. I think I've shared the story about the entire population of Hackney finding that I ended up inadvertently getting a bootleg of them playing when I was trying to get Maiden. Uh, I have a bunch of stuff where the, we just sort of stick tunes on. This happened a lot with cassettes because you do it yourself. If somebody asks you, oh, can you make a copy of, of that album for me? So yeah, sure. And you'd put it on a tape and there'd be 10 minutes left on there or something. You'd, you'd throw something else on and uh, try to imagine doing that where you didn't bother taking notes or the other person didn't, you didn't give them any information. They just have to sort of guess at what exactly these extra songs are. So there was a lot of that 
going on. And just really trying to sort of set the stage, understand that these things were like you, any show you would probably go into at a hotel room or any convention thing. You've got these different vendors who are all set up and they just have racks and racks of cassettes and milk cartons full of records and you're just flipping through and it's you know kind of like a big swap meet or whatever that you just there's kind of everything everywhere like a flea market really and the difference uh or or the thing that stood out to me vividly in my memory still after all these years would be the people who paid serious money they had something they couldn't even credibly call the booth it was just they had like a wall themselves and they would have these big displays to attach a bunch of the more either expensive or just eye candy you know very good looking pieces that they were trying to move and that's the stuff that would be up on the wall and you'd have to go up and ask them oh and of course nothing was ever priced because they wanted to just come up and and talk to them about it and you'd ask you know all these things say, Hey, what do you want for that? Or whatever. And it was, it was always, you know, invariably very expensive. And usually the stuff that was on the wall was not generally the stuff that, that any of us would end up with. I think the sole exception, I remember I bought and still have uh Steve Vai Vex flexible leftovers. He actually put out after his debut album, he put out a 10 inch record. I didn't even know what a 10 inch record was as from the Aerosmith tune. Um, I'd never heard anybody owning one of these things. And it actually took me a while to figure out what speed I was supposed to play this on. Uh, but that was one piece I got that was, I, I knew at the time, this is extremely rare. There was not a lot of copies made of this thing. So still have that to this day, although I hardly ever played it. Um, I didn't have a record player in my room. And as I say, it was the, uh, a 10 inch, I don't remember what speed it was at, but I actually had to have, I think, a, a special player in order to uh, to play that as opposed to all the other stuff that that came around. But I bring this up because you would see these new Maiden releases that came out. So not for the first time in my life, I feel like I came along at just the right time for something. You know, I started collecting comics when... Watchmen and V for Vendetta were out, but not for a real long time. So I was able to actually buy the first run issues of those. Uh, I think that the Sandman came out like the month that I started collecting comics. So there's like a lot of stuff that ended up being very, very uh, popular, collectible, inspirational and uh, trend setting at about that time. And so similarly here, uh, now going back to this same place, it was right around, you know, when the first 10 years came out. And I'm not positive on all the dates and things like that. It was certainly 1990 at this point, possibly beginning in 91, something like that. But I think it was probably 90, 1990 when, because these were in prevalence, like once I saw what they were, I saw them at everybody's booth, like everybody or a lot of the people who, who dealt in imports. A lot of people had these, whether they had the vinyl or the CDs. And again, I really wasn't even looking at the vinyl. I was just looking at these CDs. 
Uh, and I didn't know what these what these were, except that I knew all of Iron Maiden's albums inside and out, and I knew these weren't them. And it was really odd to sort of look at these things and say, that's not an album, that's a single, but it looks different than their... I'd seen some of their singles, and it doesn't really look like a single either. It's got eight or nine songs on there. What's going on? And sort of having to piece together over the course of the day, you know, spending the afternoon in this place and going booth to booth, because nobody probably had the whole set, you know, just there. Here you go. This is or could speak intelligently about it. You know, they really just had stuff mixed in with everything else. And so it was really a bit of sleuthing to sort of wander around and say, okay, it looks like there's 10 of these things and try and figure out what exactly they were. Cause they didn't all look exactly alike. Some of these were straight imports from England but a lot of them weren't. A lot of this stuff was probably things from Germany or somewhere else. And so they looked a little different. And some of them had this big sticker uh, on the front on the CD. It actually, it's a lot less obvious on the records, on the vinyl. Uh, the, the sticker on there doesn't actually stand out quite as much as it does on the CDs because just because of the size considerations, it's just much smaller you know, it's a, it's a portion of the overall size of the thing. But uh, that's it. It was really kind of wild. So I was figuring out, you know, who had these things, what the story was with them, and whether they were even going to be, you know, worth the money when I didn't really know anything about these. And there was a whole lot of them. So I knew I couldn't get them all. They were on CDs, which, as I had mentioned, are quite expensive. I think that these were probably about 20 bucks a pop. That's sort of where I remember them going for, because in my mind, I always, when I was looking for other copies later down the line uh, to try and find the ones that I had never picked up on disc, because once one of us got one of these, of course, we would make a copy. We'd make a cassette tape copy of this for everybody else. So I had the whole first 10 years series on cassette, you know, uh, but only a couple of them actually on disc. And so I always think of sort of $20 as the price point and would judge all the eBay listings once eBay became a thing. I'm saying, oh, I finally got to track these things down. I judge them in, according to that. Say, okay, how much over that? And am I willing to spend on this thing? Or should I just keep waiting for it? And that was the sort of thing that, that you would do. Because as I have mentioned probably 10 times before on this show, it was just so hard to find anything out, find out information about what was going on, probably even with domestic bands, but bands are in England. We're going to find out what they were putting out for singles or things like that. It was really something maybe you'd find out in a magazine. Even the magazines were get hard to get a hold of. If you wanted to get something that was an import, you had to go to just the right store in Boston and try and track these down. And they were always extremely expensive. And 
not for nothing, those English magazines talk about and write write about these things as if you know everything already. So it really wasn't uh, all that helpful because it was a, a common knowledge that you did not share in. And they're talking in shorthand about things like Donington and what the hell is Donington? Who are these people? Even to today, I always think it's funny when I see footage of a festival that's going on over there, because invariably they have the same kind of bands are popular everywhere to a point. But there's always these outliers, you know, you'll see they'll put on a show. It's going to be a three day festival or something. And the headliner for days one and two is somebody who's on the charts everywhere in the world. And the third is always somebody who I've never heard of before. Never. Not only do I not know them, I've never even heard this name before. And they're headlining the third night of some massive festival. And the bands are playing before them. I've heard I've heard of those. But there's somebody who's apparently so well known as to headline. But has never even been heard on this side of the ocean. I always think that's funny that it, it, to this very day, it, it still is like that. So I that was that was the beginning of collecting these and you know I was the first one to find one of these and came back from the show and had to try and explain to people what I had seen what I found yeah there's one for wasted years but I didn't get that but you know it looks like there's like one of these per album I'm not totally sure because then there was a bunch of stuff that clearly wasn't from an album and I couldn't figure it all out but here's what I did find out and the one that I selected, by the way, so coming full circle here, I bought the the number nine release that had the singles from Seventh Son of a Seventh Son entirely because I didn't have Seventh Son of a Seventh Son on CD yet. That was actually my reason, was that when I looked at these and tried to evaluate what was the best value for money, I took any of the stuff that had like five tracks on there and dismissed it out of hand. So I'm not that's not a good a good value. I definitely want to get one of these ones that has seven or eight tracks on it. That's what I want to get. And I more or less said, well, I don't have Can I Play With Madness on CD. I don't have The Evil That Men Do on CD. So even if the rest of the stuff sucks, even if I get this home and the rest of this is unlistenable, at least I'll have that. And the other reason probably the, that pushed it over the edge was the re-recording of two of the classics tunes from the first record, which I was very much a fan of. So I thought that that was something that would really be something that I'd enjoy. So based on that, brought that home and started talking this up to everybody. And then from that point on, we all went out trying to find these and... These shows weren't all that frequent. They probably still have these today. Probably a lot more flea markety than they were in the day. I doubt I could find one at a uh, hotel convention center or something like that. But I'm sure, particularly with the the uh, new dawn of vinyl collecting and things like that, they're probably enjoying a renaissance. So I'll have to keep an eye out and see. Maybe I can hunt down some of the stuff that I 
am still missing, which is an awful lot <laughs> and is going to be a problem when I get into uh, a few of the later episodes of this series where I'll be recording a uh, not a lot of people know that track about something that I don't know a lot about because uh, I never was able to track down the uh, the copy of that single myself. So it'll be it'll be interesting. I I don't think that um, any of the other stories of finding these releases was as interesting as that first one. The I would look for these in used record shops and things like that. There was one in Quincy, Mass called Quincy Records and Tapes. That's where we bought a lot, if not most of them. And that's where Tim bought, I think, all of the ones he got. He got all 10 on vinyl and actually got the box, you know, got the box set that that this all would would fit in when you were done. And I think I remember buying most of the ones that I got at that shop. But the only other one that was really noteworthy for me was I found on the night of my bachelor party. The my friends took me out, I was gonna get married. We had this awesome night in Boston. And they had actually uh, booked, there's a, there's a baseball slash softball field on Boston Common. They'd reserved it. So we actually went and played baseball. Actually, that's not true. We played softball. We played baseball for about two minutes. Um, being the, the uh, groom, I got the, the right to bat first. First ball comes in. First, first baseball comes in. And I with my wooden bat, because I didn't have any metal bats, all my bats are wood, you know, turned on that thing and crushed it, absolutely killed it. Not because I'm such a great ball player. It was, you know, a wooden bat hitting a baseball. It goes really far. And we instantly said, we better switch to softballs here. Somebody's going to get killed because there's tourists everywhere. In fact, it was so funny watching tourists would stop and take photos and video of us playing. And I always think about that, that, you know, there's some some little family somewhere on the other side of the world watching these these <laughs> fat old guys. Well, we weren't old at that point, but <laughs> watching these guys play baseball very badly in Boston Common. It's like, well, you know, that's kind of a weird thing to do. But in any event, Afterwards, it was, and then we went somewhere for dinner, and then it was like, all right, what do you want to do? We, that was as much, that was as far as we planned. Uh, you know, now after that, we, we don't really have anything specific in mind other than that we're going to, you know, hit every bar we can find. And it was like, great, let's go record shopping. And that's what we did. I mean, what a bunch of nerds. We went looking for used CDs and stuff. And I found two of the first 10 years that night. That was amazing. That was really something else that in two separate places, I found one of these 10 releases that I'd been looking for. Some things, I guess, are just meant to be. 